Hi, everyone, and welcome to ForageCast, a podcast from Forage Genetics. Each month, we take a deep dive into alfalfa topics and address real on-farm issues that revolve around alfalfa's integration into cropping systems. And now, here's your host, Emily Message. Welcome to this episode of ForageCast, sponsored by Forage Genetics International. I'm Dr. Emily Message, Technical Support Specialist with FGI. Today, we have Randy Welsh, National Alfalfa Agronomist for Cropland by Winfield United. Randy has been with Cropland for over 20 years, with over 28 years total in the alfalfa seed business. His prior 10 years was spent operating a field scouting crop and soil testing service in Wisconsin. Randy provides valuable support for retailers and growers across the U.S. and is based in Madison, Wisconsin, but travels throughout the country for speaking engagements, field visits, and to participate on many research projects. Randy, thanks so much for being here with me today. Well, thanks for having me on board today. I, mean, I sure appreciate being asked. So, thank Absolutely. You. And this is such an important topic and, and you're the, the right man to go to for it. So today, you know, we're talking about herbicide carryover and its importance in alfalfa, but really in all cropping rotations, you know, we need to start considering it. So before we, we get too deep into this, let's just start off by briefly describing what exactly herbicide carryover is and what impact it can have on a crop. Yeah, so great question. So I think to define what carryover is, it's really the leftover chemistry from a previous crop that may have some negative effect on the following crop. So a herbicide was applied, you know, a previous year, either to maybe possibly a corn or soybean or other crop. And then we have a residual percentage of that chemistry that persists into the following year. And that would be defined as, as carryover. Uh, one of the original carryover uh, compounds is probably atrazine. And so uh, many uh, farmers that have been in the biz- business, crop production business very long would recognize a carryover uh, you know, symptom or uh, a product that has a lot of carryover symptoms would be atrazine. And so we've kind of through experience learned about carryover from atrazine. And so we want to kind of delve into this next step with these new chemistries in this podcast to review some of these other uh, watchouts and ho- hopefully some tips and uh, of the trade here and tips that'll help you raise better alfalfa in the, in the future. Yeah, that will be our goal. We're going to cover a lot of information here today. You know, one of the problems that we've talked about, you and I have had several conversations on this, is that herbicide carryover, it can be kind of hard to identify because it has a lot of the same symptoms, if you will, as maybe a nutritional um, deficit or some sort of disease that's present in your field. But we also have talked about how prominent of a problem this potentially is that we're not recognizing it currently. So in your experience, and you've, again, have dealt with alfalfa, been in alfalfa fields for many years, you know, are you seeing impacts of herbicide carryover on emerging alfalfa seedlings pretty significantly across the U.S.? Well, let's maybe just go back and visit a little bit about the uh, disease versus herbicide carryover confusion, if you will. So I think a lot of times what farmers and some chemistry uh, salespeople are saying is that the problem that they're having in the field is a disease or some type of a pathogen that's causing these, you know, disappointments, if you will, with farmers establishing alfalfa. So I just want to step back and just define a little bit on herbicide carryover versus the, the, some of the disease symptoms that we have out there. The one disease that is often confused with herbicide carryover would be aphanomyces root rot. And aphanomyces is most prevalent where you have a saturated soil. So you have a period of rain, you have saturated soil, and those seedlings in that saturated soil will exhibit stunting or uh, just lack of growth, lack, lack of vigor 
And that, was, that would really be where you would find the phantomyces and saturated soils would follow those basically waterlogged areas of the field. So that that's really how we define the wet soil diseases from herbicide carryover. Herbicide carryover, on the other hand, would be, you know, not to be too obvious here, but you know, diseases do not occur in 90-foot strips, right? I mean, that's not the way a disease would work. A disease is going to follow a soil-type pattern, herbicide carryover is going to follow uh, herbicide application. So what we want to look for when we're scouting for herbicide carryover, you start looking for the the triangles in the field where you know that an obvious overlap occurred on a headland or a wedge in the field. You look for those wedges. Uh, you look for areas in the corners where the sprayer basically made a, a curve on a turn and the boom was actually going backwards and, and over applying the chemistry on that turn. Uh, you look for any type of overlap and that will give an indication that you probably have carryover potentially in the rest of the field. If you have dead alfalfa in those areas, the likelihood of having stunted alfalfa or alfalfa that's been being injured by a herbicide is pretty likely once you start to see those those type of areas. Um, so what you're saying, there's kind of a summary point here, is we're looking for patterns in that field, right? Maybe mechanical patterns that can be attributed to, you know, spray application and things like that. Whereas with a disease, it's probably going to have less of a pattern associated to it. And so that's one way to, to potentially differentiate between the yeah, two. Yeah, I think that's that, that's a great that's a great summary point is that I think with uh, herbicide application, you quite often see some type of a human interaction, mechanical application type pattern but but not always and and the the not the but not always part is really around this whole thing about soil and the physical characteristics of soil do you want to talk about the various levels of soil ph various levels of soil texture are all really important physical characteristics of that soil that are going to have an influence on carryover so the bad things would be uh, low organic matter is probably going to give us a higher risk uh, of herbicide carryover on many of these compounds. Higher pH is going to give us more risk of carryover. And then also also soil texture, the coarser the soil is, the more likely we're going to have a carryover risk on our field. So the so the, the, the worst situations you would have for carryover, and I've been on farms now within the last, just this last month or so, that uh, we saw this exact situation. If you have low organic matter, if you have high pH, and you have a coarse textured soil, those are the soils that are going to be very likely to have or more likely to have herbicide carryover. So uh, the label, in some cases, may spell them out. In some cases, the labels are cannot cover every contingency. But what I've kind of learned, you know, kind of the hard way, so to speak, is that if you've got soil textures that are low in organic matter and you're making an application of a herbicide to control weeds in the, the normal or the, the, the rest of the field that has higher organic matter, Chances are you're going to see that carryover on the low organic matter part of the field. It'll be in the eroded areas. It'll be on the hillsides. It'll be on the hilltops. Uh, that's where quite often where farmers call us and complain about their alfalfa stands are not as good on, on those slightly uh, eroded areas or lower, lower organic uh, areas in the field or high pH areas or coarser sandy soils many fields as well. The other general thing here about characteristics on, that I just want to mention quickly is that, you know, when we have conditions that are dry and cold, like we did this spring in much of the Midwest, that that's a bad situation for herbicide carryover because, you know, we, we've had a lot of farmers say, well, you know, I've used that same herbicide for two or three or four years, and I've never had this problem before. 
And then, you know, you think about the weather differences. If you have a dry and a cold spring, it's more likely that that herbicide is going to probably persist just a little bit longer. And that may add to the efficacy of that chemistry over a longer period of time because it's not decomposing or breaking down as quickly as it would in a normal uh, set of uh, weather circumstances. Lots of great information that was presented there. And I, I do want to get into some of this. So you talked about looking at your organic matter, looking at your pH, looking at your texture. I mean, all of that plays a pretty significant role in this. And you, one of the, the first things you said was organic matter and talking about how lower organic matter increases your risk for herbicide carryover. What would you consider to be a low organic matter where we would really start to be concerned about increased risk. Yeah, so I think if you if you study labels on uh, some of these compounds, the break seems to be at about 2%. Okay. So anything that's probably above 2% organic matter, the the soil just seems to be more uh, you know, basically ties up or binds up that activity of that chemistry, but once you get below 2%, bad things start to happen. And there's one chemistry that comes to mind called copyrolid that actually very specifically re- reviews that that point on the label and it's in a footnote and it's unfortunate that a lot of users of that chemistry in my opinion don't really read the footnotes and they just see well it's it looks like 12 months and we should be safe to plant alfalfa but if you read the footnote the footnote says something to the effect that it needs to go out to 18 months if you have less than two percent organic matter and that's a really important point because the calls that i get quite often from growers are on those farms where you have organic matter and they planted alfalfa the next year on a product that had a restriction on the footnote that said 18 months before you seed alfalfa. So, you know, it's a legal matter that basically the label says a certain amount, but organic matter probably at that 2% organic matter level seems to be the, the magic number that we need to kind of remember. The challenge is, Emily, is that in much of our alfalfa growing northern, let's say the northern dairy belt, we have a tremendous amount of variability in organic matter. I mean, I have customers that'll have 4% organic matter on one end of the field, and we have 1.5% organic matter on the other end of the field. And my joke is, on average, it's pretty good soil, right? So, you know, this organic matter thing is a really a problem for us because you're going to try to achieve weed control. The agronomist is going to be asked to achieve weed control on the higher organic matter soil. But on the lower organic matter soil, we're going to have more herbicide activity. I think a general awareness of this of this concern might help a lot of folks just to kind of think this through, that you may not want to use a certain compound or a certain chemistry if you know that you're below that 2% organic matter level on a lot of your soils. Now, your recommendation then to potentially decrease your herbicide rate on those lower organic matter soils, will they still be able to achieve adequate weed control with those rates or or what does that look like? Well, when you read on the label, there's a fairly wide range of application. Again, I'm not being real specific here on this, but when you look at those ranges, that range on that label is there for a reason. And that range is actually built somewhat around, in, in many cases, maybe built around organic matter. Again, the label doesn't specify why that range is there, but, you know, we kind of need to help, agronomists need to help farmers figure that range out. And mm-hmm. you want to always be at the low range when you're in those risky situations of low organic matter, high pH, coarse textured soil. Many labels will specify the soil textures, soil organic matter, soil pHs, and they tell you that you want to have that lower rate. So your question is, can I achieve weed control in all those soils, in, in all cases, with 
those those lower rates. You know, maybe not. Maybe we do need to think about different ways to make that application work, change field patterns, change spray patterns, spray a different direction in the field maybe. Uh, but there's all kinds of things like that that we should be talking about with growers or growers should be uh, thinking about if they're going to use these more persistent type chemicals. And we've already mentioned reading the label quite a bit here. And I do think that reading any label on any chemistry that you're using is so critical to fully understand, you know, the implications of, of rate, of timing, of, of all of this that's included. It doesn't have everything all the time, but it does contain a lot of detailed information that's really going to help you in making those decisions. And so, you know, it's not just like getting some piece of furniture from Ikea and trying to figure it out without reading the instructions. Really, you should make sure that you're reading that label before applying any sort of chemical to your feet. Absolutely. Yeah, the label label is a uh, gives you a lot of information on that how to use that chemistry, how much to apply, the conditions, the rates, a lot of information. The weeds controlled. I'm fearful that a lot of times, you know, we're not we're not studying those labels. Absolutely. So we've kind of talked a little bit about you know situations, maybe when we want to be obviously reading a label, obviously looking at what we're applying and what we're looking for in the field in the case of if we suspect herbicide residuals um, impacts. Let's talk about some of the costs that are associated with seeding into a field that does have a significant herbicide carryover and how it can affect then your, your current or your next crop and your, and your profits associated with that next crop. What are some of the p- potential impacts and why should growers be more aware of this problem? So the costs, I think of the costs of carryover are, are really are huge because, you know, if, if a grower plants an alfalfa field, buys a great alfalfa seed from his seed dealer, goes into that field with the expectation of being able to establish alfalfa and to take one or two really nice cuttings of alfalfa from that field the same year of seeding, and he, he has a disappointment and, and does not, not get that uh, cutting or two off from that field. Uh, that's an economic cost to that grower, number one, at feed cost. Now, the other cost, of course, is just the, the cost of going back to replant that field. And <clears throat> in my opinion, replanted alfalfa fields are never as good the second time as they probably were the first time. One of the challenges we have, is certainly in the upper Midwest, is that we run out of uh, moisture in the late uh, spring when we, finally, when we finally decide that we have a herbicide carryover problem it's really too late to reseed that field. So now the farmer has a terrible dilemma on his hands. What do we put in that field? We, in, in some cases, uh, I've advised that we just wait and see. If the herbicide carryover is not real bad, many times these plants will survive and they, they come out of it. We lose a cutting or two of alfalfa, but the stand is, is still there. And we kind of run with the thin spots that are on the hill, on the lower organic matter hillsides, and we 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 do the best of a bad situation. That's that's one case scenario. The other case scenario is where the herbicide carryover is bad. We just basically tear it up that fall and reseed it that fall. And there's been cases where we've done that, but there's there's a huge cost there. Maybe the farmer wants to put in a sorghum sedan grass crop in the summertime. You see, all these are very complicated decisions that are case by case, one by one. Farm by farm, situation by situation, agronomist to farmer discussions that we'll have to decide what we're going to do uh, with that problem field that we've got the carryover issue on. And I have actually several of these that I'm involved in working with my own growers that I interact with on a couple of situations, really trying to figure out what we're going to do with these fields yet this fall. And it's a sad, you know, it's a sad situation because your farmer wants to have feed. 
he's got dairy cows or beef animals and he wants to have that feed. So the cost is very high because now he has to go in and try to replace that dry matter that he did not produce. He has to go into the market, maybe buy that feed. I mean, there's all, all kinds of just the repercussions on this are very deep. And it's very disappointing when, you know, the recommendation that probably could have been made back a year prior to maybe not use that chemistry or pay attention to the rates or, you know, there, there, there could have been some other little things that maybe could have been done to uh, alleviate that problem that we're in with the carryover situation. So, so those are kind of some points around cost. So I think it'd be wait and see, potentially reseed, seed another crop, and then also the cost to uh, reseed and then the cost to replace that dry matter that was lost are all, all certainly all costs involved with uh, herbicide carryover. Absolutely. And I think a lot of times people only, you know, had that perception of what I'll call the direct cost. So that decrease in production, perhaps that loss cutting or two in that first year. But then you also mentioned some of the indirects of they don't have that forage available. So they have to actually go back out and find it, you know, pay market price for that. And so there's really, it's a lot of things that you really have to consider. And, and this again, is something that I think a lot of people need to be planning for because of all of those costs that are associated with this. And we know going back into the field to reseed, you know, a failed stand or a stand that's doing poorly isn't ideal. Nobody wants to have to go reseed the alfalfa you know, this, twice. So really planning is going to be critical to avoid this sort of issue in your field. Quite often, I think farmers make very casual choices about the herbicides that they use. You know, and it may be as, as uh, innocent as just calling somebody and saying, hey, spray my corn, right? And then, mm-hmm. you know, a year later, they go like, wow, my alfalfa that I seeded on that field looks really bad. And I've had situations where a farmer says something to the effect that, well, you know, I, I sprayed my corn or my neighbor sprayed my corn for me. I said, well, what did he spray on it? Well, I said, I, I don't know. I, he sprayed it. The weed, weed control was good. I, I don't know what he used, right? So there's these cases out there where, you know, working backwards on this, farmers do not pay enough, enough attention, in my opinion, to the herbicide choices that are being made for them or, or they're, even when they're uh, working with a supplier. It may be whatever's on the truck that day is what gets uh, the whatever's on that applicator's tank in that applicator's tank, uh, mm-hmm. or on the on the tender truck that day. Sometimes these decisions are very casual, and if you're in a corn, I've I've learned this as well. If you're in a strong corn and soybean area where there's no not much alfalfa raised, it it may be that you know the choice of the herbicide being used is not appropriate for a alfalfa growing dairy farm. And so so someone in the in the recommendation of that chemistry needs to ask what is going to be the next crop after the corn or soybeans are harvested here this you know this next next year, right? So so someone needs to ask someone needs to ask that question. <laughs> and we know farmers already have a ton on their plate, a ton of decisions to make, but this is one that they really do need to pay attention to. Keeping records is obviously very important. And also planning too. I think that that has a big role. And again, when you're talking about calling up the applicator to come spray your field, they don't always know that you intend on planting alfalfa next season or or even in two seasons in the case of some herbicides that can have that long of a carryover. So just having those conversations, like you said, planning, keeping records, that's all going to be really helpful in, in, in avoiding this issue as well. Well, this is going to wrap up part one of our herbicide carryover conversation. Thank you so much, Randy, for joining us today. And please tune back into our next episode where we continue talking with Randy on things you can do to help prevent or decrease the risk of herbicide carryover. Thank you, Emily. And thanks to you, our listeners. 
If you'd like more information about 4-H genetics or any of the information you heard about today, please contact your local alfalfa seed dealer or visit our website at www.foragegenetics.com. Until next time, thank you for listening. Because of factors outside forage genetics control, such as weather, soil, planting, and product application, individual results cannot be predicted or guaranteed by Forage Genetics International. Always read and follow all label instructions.